Our study is Luke 8, 26 to 39. We'll read about the demoniac that's cured by Christ. And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had come out onto the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would burst his fetters and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were entreating him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons entreated him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out from the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And when those who tended them saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to depart from them. For they were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. And he departed, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ is appointed to have sovereignty over heaven and earth and over all things that happen in heaven and on earth. We know that and we thank you that he is powerful and he's also merciful. He uses his power to extend mercy and to deliver people who are bound by Satan. We know, Lord, that though many of us never will experience this kind of demonic possession, we do know that you have brought us out of darkness and into light we were sons of the devil, but now we are sons of the living God. We thank you that we are so. As we think about and meditate on this passage, we pray that we will reflect upon these truths and reflect upon your great power and mercy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, in verse 26, we pick up where they were last time. They were at sea. They were crossing the Sea of Galilee. And it says in verse 26, and they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. This city of the Gerasenes, and here named, uh, the people are named the Gerasenes, the country of them is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And it says here, opposite Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret, and it's also called Lake Tiberias, all because of cities that are around there. And so they are in that region. This region... It is also uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, 
or on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And in that area, there were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles who lived there. And we, when we read about these uh, swine or the pigs that they raised, it's un uncertain whether these were Jews or Gentiles. It's very likely that they were Gentiles, but it could have also been Jews who were raising them, perhaps for consumption, but also perhaps not for consumption, but for sale and usage to sell to Gentiles who lived in their area. Whatever the case, we do know that this place of the Gerasenes and another city called Gadara was over there on the eastern side, east of the Jordan and east of the Sea of Galilee, and that area was a mixed area. And these are real places. Historians and scholars, we know that these are real places. This is important because what we're about to read, this miracle, is not a fiction. It's not mythology or anything like that. It's a real incident. We know that Luke wants to record the truth and historical fact from chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. He already told us that that was the purpose for his writing this book. He says that it seemed fitting for me as well, picking up at verse 3, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. He's claiming here to be a historian and to be one who's chronologically presenting the things that have happened. And that's what we have here. This is a fact that Jesus encountered this man, demon-possessed, and he healed him. And it tells us about the veracity of Jesus, his histor historicity, and the veracity and historicity of demons, and of this incident, this man was possessed, and the people did react in this way, and so on. So all the details here are real and factual. Let's not think that they are fictional or <coughs> mythological. Though unbelievers, skeptics, liberals, they pick... And, and nitpick at the Bible and say that this is just a legend or this is a fiction. This really did not happen. That's not true. And the worst part of all this, or two of the worst parts of this, is that they say demons are unreal and the devil is unreal. Just it's, The devil is just psychological or just physical. That, that's the only thing that people have. They have psychological and physical problems. They don't have any spiritual problems. And therefore, there is no devil. There's no personal evil devil. That's what they say. And when they minimize the existence of the devil, they also minimize the power of God. They don't believe in the power of God to overcome evil, to overcome the devil and wickedness among man. They don't believe in any of that. But we can't be that way. This is presented so that we might see who Jesus is, the reality of sin and evil, and the ability of God to overcome all this in time and space. Just as he did it in time and space then, he can do it in time and space now with us. And there are many spiritual lessons we'll see along the way. All right, now verse 27. And when he had come out onto the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. So he's coming out of the city of the Gerasenes in that area, it says in the plural, he's possessed with demons. At times, it will say it in the singular, such as verse 29, the unclean spirit in the singular, and at other times it will present it in the plural. 
And we do know that there was at least one who spoke up. We could call him the spokesman of the pack of demons inside the man. But we do know from verse 30, it says, he, he said that we, uh, we are called legion for many demons had entered him. Legion. And we do know from the 2000 swine, from parallel accounts of Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 5, from those parallel accounts, we know that there were 2,000 of them. So when he says legion, he's talking about at least 2,000 of them going into each of these pigs. All right, now in 27, it also says that he's without clothing for a long time. He doesn't live in a house, but in the tombs. This is a miserable man. Everybody who's sensible puts on clothes. Adults, they put on clothes. They know that. And they're trained to do that. So that is reasonable. That's what you would expect. But he's not doing that. That shows what, in what kind of uh, uh, mind he had. He was not in presence of mind. He was completely overtaken and insane. And that's why he didn't have any clothing. And he didn't even have the privilege or the luxury of living in a house, living in the tombs, living where the graves are. The demons had driven him out, taken his clothes off, or convinced him to take the clothes off and live in the tombs area, in the graves, in, that, in a graveyard, to live there. Can you imagine? Why, why, and why would they do that? Probably to torment him. Probably to to torment him and afflict him with the thought of imminent death and the stench of death and just the thought of death. Death, death, death is constantly on his mind if he's there in, around the, the tombs. So Jesus understands what's going on. And we note here that the man came out to meet him. It doesn't tell us if... Uh, it says, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons. From the other accounts, it's likely that the man is the one who came out. And we don't know if he came out on his initiative or if it was the demons. Whatever the case, Jesus goes there purposely, uh, purposefully in order to deliver him from this. And verse 28, And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, this is enunciated not by the man himself in terms of his own initiative. It's likely that it's not the man, but it is the demon in the man, the spokesman of the, of the demons in the man coming out because he thinks that Jesus has come According to the parallel account in uh, Matthew 8:29, have you come to torment us before the time? Before the time, he asks. Before the time. The demons know that they are going to be tormented, that they will be thrown into a lake of fire. There's eternal punishment that will come upon them. It says that in Matthew 25, 41. He, he's, he will say, Depart from me, you accursed ones, the people, the goats, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Evil people, the devil, and all of the demons, the unclean spirits, they all will go into the lake of fire where they are tormented. And this is probably the concern of these demons. That's why they come out and they're worried they want to be spared. They don't want to go there now 
Jesus has the power to put, throw them there now. They don't want to go there since he's in their vicinity. So they're begging for Jesus not to torment them. They know uh, of a truth. Notice this. They know of a truth, and there's several truths here. They know Jesus. He's the Son of the Most High God. So they believe in the Trinity. Look at this. Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. Of course, the Holy Spirit's not mentioned, but that's implied. They know that Jesus is the Son of God, and they know that God the Father is the Father of the Son of God. They know this. And they also know that they're going to be tormented. And from the parallel of Matthew 8.29, they also know there's going to be, um, that this torment will last forever. They know that they don't want to experience that. That's how bad it is for them. They know all these truths. But how many people know these truths? How many people believe these truths? These are facts, facts of the gospel and the rejection of the gospel that the demons know to be true. Even in James chapter 2, 2.19, you believe God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. They are shuddering because they know there's a day of judgment and they're going to be on the losing end of that day of judgment. But few people know this truth. They, they don't know it, they don't believe it. Even if they believe the facts, they don't believe in the gospel. And they are just like demons. And in fact, they are worse than demons. Because the demons are afraid of torment. But the unbelievers are not afraid of torment. When they think of God in the day of judgment, it doesn't cause them to shudder. They just flick it away and move on and, and carry on with their life. Verse 29. For he had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. This is an explanation. And this is uh, after the statement is made, or the question is asked, uh, what do I have to do with you? They want nothing to do with Jesus, and they're afraid they're going to be tormented. So in 29, the reason that the demon exclaims this is because Jesus had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. That's what prompts the demon to ask this question and desire to be not tormented. So, verse 29, unclean spirit. Notice that term. The Bible uses many terms. In this passage, we have in verse 27, we have the word demons. And then in verse 29, unclean spirit. So, unclean spirit, fallen angels, the... Um, Angels, sometimes it's just angels or spirit. Sometimes it's evil spirit. Uh, occasionally it'll be deceiving spirit. These are all terms describing one body of creatures, one group of creatures that we typically call fallen angels or demons. That's what is happening here. And they have different names, such as in 29, unclean spirit, because they're filthy. Because sin is compared to filth and uncleanness. It's compared to that. That's why they are called that. And it's uh, no uh, coincidence that they are going to be given to swine, which by this, up to this point in the Bible, the swine and other kinds of animals were considered unclean animals. They were considered unclean animals in the Old Testament, because they were representative of that which is unholy, that which is unclean, that which is sinful. They were a spiritual lesson, a spiritual illustration of sin. 
And in this case, we're dealing with the reality of that sin. And 29 further tells us, It had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would burst his fetters and be driven by the demons into the desert. This is a, a, a further description of his sad situation. He was bound, had chains, shackles, and kept under guard. He had to be kept under guard because he was a dangerous man. He could lose control and harm other people, harm people and property. And it says he would even burst his fetters and be driven by the demon into the desert. Away from the people, into a solitary place where all the wild animals are, where it's barren and dry. There's nothing there, no civilization there. The man was taken away by the demons over there. 30. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. According to historical account, uh, accounts, a legion was not a fixed number. It was fixed for certain periods of time, but it could be anywhere from uh, at least 3,000 uh, up to as many as 12,000 soldiers in a legion or uh, in a command. So in this case, we know that there were at least 2,000 of them because from the other accounts, we know that they went into 2,000 demons, uh, 2,000 pigs. So verse... 31, and they were entreating him not to command them to depart into the abyss. The abyss. This is the place of punishment. This is the place of torment. They don't want to go there. They know that their destiny is to go, but they don't want to go yet. Verse 32, and there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons entreated him to permit them to enter the swine and he gave them permission. Okay, they know it's a hopeless cause that Jesus wants to deliver the man. That's why this confrontation is happening. Jesus is about to deliver the man, but because they are so bent on sin and evil, the demons are, because they are so bent on that, they want to wreak destruction somewhere else. So they see the swine, and they say, well, let us go into the swine. Let's go there, because if we can go in there, we can also possess, we can possess these animals, and we can also wreak destruction there, which we know they were driven away into the lake, and then they all drown over there. So that's why they are doing this. They want to continue to wreak destruction as much as they can, and Jesus gives them permission to do so. This should not surprise us that Jesus gave them permission. We note that in Job chapters 1 and 2, Satan came before the Lord and Satan was given permission by God to torment Job, to wreak four kinds of, of havoc on Job in Job chapter 1. And then that was to Job's possession and family. And then in chapter 2, to Job's health. Satan was permitted to harm his health, just not to kill him. This happens... In Job's one, chapters 1 and 2, it happens in 1 Kings chapter 22 when Ahab and Jehoshaphat were about to go to war against their enemies and they consulted with their prophets 
One true prophet was there and all the rest of them were false prophets. All the false prophets said, yes, go ahead and you'll win. You'll, you'll succeed if you go into battle. But the one true prophet said, no, you're not going to go. Well, then it explains how, 1 Kings 22, how the false prophets were actually possessed or influenced by a deceiving spirit sent from God for that purpose of misleading the prophets, misleading Ahab, convincing Ahab and the whole army of Israel to go into battle and then to lose in battle. And even Ahab to lose his life because of that battle. He had a fatal injury and shortly after that he died because of it. So giving permission in the Bible from God to demons to do harm is all over the place. It's in the, all over the place in the Bible. And that's what Jesus does. Now, somebody at this point might say, he gave them permission, permission to harm the swine. At this point, we have to say, God is God, and he can do whatever he wants to his creation. He can create the world and bless it, and then curse it because of sin. And that's what he's done. And he did that during the time of Noah's flood. He destroyed the whole globe, except the eight people and the animals that were in the ark with them. He did this, uh, things like this in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed those people and all the surrounding area, completely laid it waste with salt, fire and brimstone. He destroyed those places. And even the righteous, Abraham and Lot, they had to get away from that area. They couldn't stay close to it. So the righteous were impacted by that evil, first being tormented by seeing the evil all around them, and then they had to leave that area and could not pasture their flocks and, and reside in that place. So God can do and has done throughout history whatever He wants to do. And that's what's going on here. They, these animals belong to Him, and He can command whatever uh, might happen to them. But we also have to realize, in this case, and as well as many cases, Jesus Himself did not personally do harm to the swine. The demons did. God uses instruments and agents throughout the scriptures in order to accomplish his task. Many times, not always, but many times. Verse 33, And the demons came out from the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. See how quickly the demons desired death? They quickly wanted to destroy the swine. Quickly. Immediately, it says, you know, came out from the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake. They made uh, the pigs go down quickly, and they were drowned in the lake. Verse 34, And when those who tended them saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The, the herd, uh, the, the, the swine herds here, they saw what happened and they go and report it into the city. We know from what follows, they didn't do this in joy. They, they did this in disgust and fear. They didn't want this to happen. They told the others about it in order for them to be able to explain to somebody and also to, to get the people on their side to get Jesus out of their region. They didn't go there to praise Christ. They don't even praise Christ when it first happens. They quickly run away from Christ. When their means 
of when their livelihood was jeopardized, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, they wanted to go find their friends who would help them get rid of Jesus. 35. And the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. So the people come. They heard what had happened. Not everyone saw it, but they came out and they saw what had happened, at least the result of it, that the demons had gone out. This man that they knew to be a miserable man, bound, shackled, uh, naked, uh, living in, in the graves, uh, in the gravesides, going over there into those places, they knew the kind of man he was. They saw that a miracle had occurred, that he's at the feet of Jesus. Now he's clothed, now he's in his right mind. He can talk and, re and interact properly. But what did they do? They became frightened. And then 36, And those who had seen it reported to them how the man was demon-possessed and had been made well. He was, was demon-possessed, had been made well. Okay, now they get eyewitness reports. They had eyewitness reports, but now it's happening again, presumably twice now they're hearing. This is, a, this is where it happened. This is what happened. This is what Jesus did. This is what the demons said. The demons were given permission to go into the swine. They went quickly into the lake and they drowned. And now this man, this is the way he was. We saw him the way he was before. It, it happened right before our very eyes. They're reporting all this. So, why are they frightened? Verse 37. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to depart from them, for they were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. Jesus obliges. They don't want to listen to him. They want nothing to do with him. So, like he taught us to do in Matthew 7, 6, do not cast your pearls before swine and do not give what is holy to dogs. He taught us not to do that, so he finds that these people are actually hogs and dogs in their behavior. And they want nothing to do with Jesus. They're unclean people. They're filthy people. They don't want their filthy sins washed away in Christ. They don't want that, so they ask him to leave. This great fear in, in verse 37 and 35, they became frightened. It's not frightened by what might happen to them spiritually, but frightened by what might happen to them physically. Their material possessions are jeopardized now. They just lost 2,000 pigs. They might lose more of their possessions. They don't want to do that. They would rather have Jesus walk away from them, and even they... They, they say it. It says, the, the people of the, um, all, all the people of the country, the garrisons and the surroundings, asked him to, leave, to depart from them. They asked him to leave. This is sinful man. You have right here a man who was tormented and overcome by many demons, living a completely despondent, miserable, deathly, fatal life. He had no, nothing good going on for him. They know that a human being was experiencing this. And then they 
have, have these pigs that they tended, and for whatever uh, purpose they had them, they had them, but these are animals. They are not made in the image of God. Whether it's 2,000 or 10,000 pigs, how can animals equate to a human, even one human? A human is made in the image of God, and humans either go to heaven or hell. The, the animals don't go to heaven or hell. There's, there's nothing like that for them. Plants don't go to heaven or hell. It's not, nothing like that for them. But people do. And yet they had no concern. They were so blinded. They were so blinded by this world. They were so blinded by physical things that they had no thought of eternal things. They had no concern. They were so stony-hearted. They were very callous and stony towards that man who was healed in front of their eyes. They wanted nothing to do with it. And nothing to do with the mercy of God and the power of God that was manifested in Jesus right there in front of them. 38. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. And he departed, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. The man has the proper response. The man has the proper response. He has the response of wanting to be with Jesus, and he doesn't want to leave Jesus physically. Physically, so that he can also benefit spiritually. He's not looking for physical things. He's a changed man now. He understands spiritual things. He wants to be with him. He's begging to be with Jesus. This is the response that every true believer has. Everyone who has understood the grace of God, everyone who has experienced the grace and mercy of God, understands, I don't want to be the way I was. I want to attach myself. I want to cling to and I want to hold fast to God Himself. I want to be with Him. I want to be around Him. I want to think of Him. I want to do His will. I used to do my will. I want to be on the highway of holiness. I was on the highway of wickedness. I don't want that anymore. This is the way it is. That's why he's begging Jesus. He is descriptive of the, a true believer in contrast to the multitudes who begged Jesus or asked Jesus to go away. But Jesus wants him to be a testimony. It doesn't say why exactly this individual in this case, he told him to go back to his city and why he didn't allow him to accompany him, even though he allowed other people uh, to accompany him. At least we know in verse 39, he wants this man to describe what great things God has done for him. He wants him to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. He wants to have this man explain the gospel to other people. And that's the natural reaction too that we all should have. That is, explain what God has done to, for us. That's why whenever we meet a new friend and the, and, the, and the friend says he's a Christian, we always ask, well, how did you become a Christian? Where do you go to church? Um, well, you know, well, tell, tell me about your background. We want to know that because that's a part of our knowing the great things that God has done in the life of somebody else. That's what he is called to do. And he did, did it. He did it faithfully. He departed, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. 
he obeyed. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.13, I believed, therefore I spoke. If we truly believe the gospel, we will speak the gospel. If we don't truly believe, we won't speak up. There are many people who will not speak up in private or in public, whether it's in front of one person or in front of a thousand people. Many people won't speak up because they don't truly believe. If they do that consistently, then they, they don't truly believe. Yes, believers do fail here and there, now and then, in not being faithful, but it shouldn't be characteristic of a believer. A believer, because he believes, he speaks. He speaks up and tells the people what they need to hear. And that's what he did. He was faithful to the command of, of Christ to do so. Let's also observe, finally in verse 39, Jesus says, what great things God has done for you. And then it says, what great things Jesus had done for him. Who is Jesus, according to this verse? In one verse, God. he's God. Not God the Father, but the Son. He possesses a divine nature, just as the Father does. Actually, uh, for your information, let's look at uh, three other places in Luke and Acts, the same writer, the same one has written all of these references, he makes a point of making this comparison. L let's look at nine, Luke 9, 42 and 43. Luke 9, 42. We have another demoniac in nine, Luke 9, 42. And while he was still approaching, the demon dashed him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. <coughs> but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Jesus did it, just did it, and they were amazed, it says, at the greatness of God. And then Luke 22. Luke 22 and verse 65. Luke 22, 65. Um, when Jesus is on trial, it says, and they were saying, uh, on trial and um, arrested, and they were saying many other things against him, blasphemy. When is it blasphemy? When you, do, when you insult God, right? But it says here, they were saying many other things against him, against Jesus, blaspheming. So they're blaspheming against God because they're blaspheming against Jesus. And one more is in Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verse 34. Acts 9, 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And immediately he arose. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Jesus Christ heals you, and they turned to the Lord. He, he doesn't say God heals you. He says Jesus Christ heals you. Because it's the same thing. We're, we're speaking of the person, the divine person of Christ. Well, from this passage, I, I trust that we've seen how people... In this case, we have an extreme example of somebody who is demon-possessed. He's healed by Christ. But what Jesus did here, Jesus does for everybody. 
if they come out of darkness into light. Because John 8, 44, he says of unbelievers, you are of your father, the devil. You are of your father, the devil. And in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were obeying the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were disobedient sons, and we were controlled by the spirit that is the devil who is influencing us, the devil and his demons influencing us to practice wickedness. Also, 1 John 5.19 says, We are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So this is the way it is. We must continually be conscientious of this fact. We're fighting the devil now, even as Christians. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to withstand all the missiles of the evil one. 1 Peter 5.8 and Ephesians 6.10. This is our battle. Before Christ, we're enslaved to the devil. And after Christ, we're waging war against the devil. All of us. Out of darkness into light. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.